Hello and welcome to the Caregiver's Story podcast, where we discuss all things dementia and hopefully share some caregiver stories along the way. My name is Kimberly Scott, and in 2013, my mom was diagnosed with dementia at the age of 65. And after many years of feeling overwhelmed, I'm just now getting comfortable with saying how overwhelming this journey can be and is. In 2019, I started the Caregivers Stories podcast to let other caregivers know that they're not alone. And I wanted to give them a place that they could tell their story whenever they're ready. I also want to educate those who don't know what dementia is and what to do if a loved one is diagnosed, like I was back when my mom was diagnosed. And most importantly, I want to get people talking and having that tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed and maybe just maybe break that dementia cycle. If you want to share your story or if you have knowledge about dementia and want to be a guest on Caregiver Stories podcast, just visit thatkimberly.com to sign up to be interviewed. And while you're there, you can also pick which platform you prefer to listen to the podcast on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and now Amazon Alexa. And now that I have that out of the way, I would like to introduce my guest today, Don Desonier. Hello, Don. Hello, Kimberly. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Well, I'm glad to be here and to talk about this. Well, give us a little background about who you are and what led you to work in the realm, as I say, of dementia. Well, I was a practicing attorney for 43 years. And back in January of 2008, full-time attorney doing my work. And my wife, Nancy, was diagnosed with what at the time was described by our then doctor as mild cognitive impairment or MCI. I think he was giving us a soft landing, Kimberly, because it became full-blown dementia pretty quickly if it wasn't already that at that time. And that was a huge a bit of news, as you might imagine. Oh, yeah. We very much remember sitting in his office and getting that information. And so for the ensuing couple of years, I was two, two and a half years, I was Nancy's caregiver as things progressed fairly rapidly. I believe what her dementia was primarily was VCI or vascular cognitive impairment. Okay. And a point was reached where it was necessary to place her in memory care, and that was in July of 2010. Mm-hmm. And she passed away July 4th, 2012. So it was a fairly rapid progression due and measure to, I believe, kind of dementia she had, and also that it was early onset. And I say early onset, meaning that she had just turned 65. So she's kind of on the edge of what most experts define as early onset, you know, at or under age 65. Oh, wow. So with that experience, I about six months after she passed away, I started a blog, just chronicling my experiences, you know, caring for her and -hmm. trying to pass what I learned on to others Mm -hmm. through a blog. But as I continued to do that, I started to feel drawn to do more and saw not just a business opportunity, because obviously I'm trying to, to make this into a profession, but also expand what it is I could do. And so I started consulting with geriatric trained professionals and people in the dementia care industry and so forth, and decided I wanted to 
to gradually move away from my law practice and, and do this work on a you know, full-time basis. One of the things I, I was told was that my experience alone of caring for Nancy Mm-hmm. might not be enough. Okay, so they told you that being a caregiver wasn't good enough, basically, to <clears throat> go to, into... To, to give me credibility. Okay. When I started, you know, going to networking events and otherwise connecting with people that run residential care communities or people that uh, provide at-home or, or residential care and, and all the people that work in what I would call the elder care or older adult industry... So I got a certificate in gerontology from the University of Washington through their continuing education program. Wow. And followed that up last year by completing seven, seven and a half months of study to become a certified senior advisor, hmm. which I would call the gerontology course on steroids. It was very <laughs> in-depth, very comprehensive look at aging issues, because that's what gerontology is essentially. Looking aging issues across all different spectrums. And the certified senior advisor certification gave me as much as I learned and more from the gerontology course, plus the, the added aspect of it being that I'm required, just as mental health professionals are and lawyers are, to get continuing education in order to maintain my certified status. Mm-hmm. So that was important for me too, because it kind of forces me, if that's the word to use, to keep my knowledge current. Yeah. So this was something that I have to ask. I learned that dementia was a symptom and not the actual disease that there were all these other diseases, like with Alzheimer's being the largest, but the dementia is a symptom and mm-hmm. another correct. for, for mm-hmm. short-term memory loss, correct? Well, that's right. And a lot of people, this question comes up frequently. Mm-hmm. And that is, well, what's the difference between, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia? Yeah. And dementia is the symptom. People are experiencing memory loss, inability to perform normal activities of daily living, like bathing, or more complex tasks, like Matt, balancing your checkbook, preparing a meal. Yeah. Dry, brushing dry, your teeth. Brushing, brushing your teeth, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so those are symptoms. And one of my colleagues gave a good example of how to understand it is think of dementia as this huge umbrella with a lot of branches hanging down, or Mm -hmm. a tree tree with a lot of branches hanging down. And all these branches represent the different diseases that can cause dementia-like symptoms. And there are two types of circumstances that could trigger memory loss or other symptoms that most people think of when they think of somebody having cognitive impairment. One would be reversible conditions. Maybe you have a concussion Mm -hmm. and that has caused a temporary memory issue. Maybe there's a medication mix-up. Oh, yes, I've heard that. Protocol. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an alcohol abuse issue, depression. There can be a lot of things which when you realize, oh, these symptoms are a result of these things happening that are lifestyle issues that can be controlled. And then once you deal with it, the mm-hmm. situation reverses. The other kinds of things that can cause dementia are irreversible conditions, mm-hmm. which right now is diseases such as Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is the, of the largest examples. I think it's about 60% of uh, the diseases that produce dementia symptoms is Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And then there are many other kinds of Alzheimer's, vascular cognitive impairment, which is what my wife had. My mother-in-law had dementia with Lewy bodies, yeah. you can have Parkinson's-related dementia. The list goes on and on. They just discovered a new one, FTD. Frontal temporal dementia? Yes. That was on, on CBS on 60 Minutes. 
about, I think it was about a month ago, I want to say. Somebody was mentioning that to me uh, recently. Yeah. I haven't seen that one though. That they just discovered it and they're just a different person. They think that there's nothing wrong and they interviewed three different people. It's very interesting. Yes, <laughs> they, they did discover a new form of it and they announced it a month ago that after many years of studies. Because so I, I think frontal temporal has been around, but maybe that CBS show. Yeah. So give me some examples of some misperceptions of people with dementia. Well, it, it is an important thing to talk about. I think the fact that dementia, unlike cancer, is one of these diseases that people are not quite as comfortable talking about. Not that there's any rating system in terms of serious and terminal illnesses, mm -hmm. but dementia is something that people are less familiar with. And so by that aspect of it, have a misunderstanding as to what it really is. And one of those is that, well, if somebody has dementia, then they're no longer a viable human being or they're no longer functional. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're less than in some respect or other, and that nothing could be farther from the truth. The important piece that I would want to share with you is that even somebody with dementia is alive and present and can be engaged with. Uh, when, I was, when I was taking care of Nancy, this is before I knew anything about anything, really. Mm -hmm. I started to discover the kinds of activities and kinds of engagement that would bring her present and have her be such a, a vibrant part of who she was. And that led me to gain a better understanding that the best approach to taking care of somebody with dementia is what I kind of call a person-centered approach, where you approach this person as a viable human being. And if somebody was a doctor or a nurse or an engineer or a pilot or a scientist, just because they have dementia doesn't mean they're no longer the smart person. Mm -hmm. They're still that same human being. They're having issues now that are making things difficult, more difficult to recall or remember, but they're still here. And they're just in a different form of here. <laughs> different form of here. Yeah. It's a different form of here. That's a great way of putting it. And once you make that shift to understand that people with dementia deserve to be in the conversation, when you're talking with another person, with that person present, to not treat them as if they're not there. Yeah. Uh, and speaking about them right in front of them. Yeah. And pretty much here. And Kimberly, you know, I can remember instances where I remember when my stepson's then girlfriend, now wife, met Nancy for the first time in the memory care residence where she was living. And I introduced Kit to my wife and, you know, this is Kit, this is Pierre's girlfriend and et cetera and so forth. And I just made an assumption in my head that, oh, Nancy probably doesn't have any idea what I'm really saying or what this is really meaning or who this person really is. And, and so I didn't follow up very much. Well, they're engaged. They're probably going to get married. I just didn't go into that kind of conversation with her with an assumption that, well, she probably wasn't processing it. And I look back now and I regret that mm -hmm. because I don't know that to be the case. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that never to assume that somebody oh. is not tuned in. Yeah. Who have talked about, you know, yeah. Kit and to talk excitedly about it. And who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Sharing stories and 
And yeah, exactly. I'm always shocked at what my mom does remember. Sometimes she remembers stuff and because uh, she has no short term. So, but sometimes absolutely she remembers and I'm like, okay. So I did have to get comfortable with, you know, not talking around her and keep her in the conversation because one, you know, knowing that she's still a mind and, and body and spirit, but it kept her engaged when I started doing that and stopped you know, worrying about what if she gets upset. And then if she does get upset about something that I might say, then I just redirect. And I also do my best to find humor in every situation, because if you don't do that, it was frustrating for me the first three years when I didn't find humor in some of the hiccups that might occur, you know. And there, and there is humor. Yeah. There is humor. Mm -hmm. I can share many stories about funny yeah. things that happened with Nancy that I laughed then and she did. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, very true. So tell me a little bit about men as caregivers and the approach to caregiving that's different than with women. Well, I'll begin with a statistic and depending on what you read, I'd say roughly 33% of caregivers are men. Mm-hmm. And women outlive men, and two-thirds of Americans with Alzheimer's are women. Mm -hmm. Male caregivers, and I include myself among them early on in my caring for Nancy, can tend to take a task-oriented, problem-solving, block-and-tackle approach to care. Yeah. Okay, I'm faced with a problem now. How am I going to fix this, and what do I do to address it, and how do I figure this out, and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that skill set, if that's the word you use. I did you know, research. I went to my support group. I found out stuff. And that, all that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. But men tend to approach caregiving from a task-oriented place. Older adults, men that are caregivers, perhaps in their 80s, look at this as, you know what? This is what I signed up for. I'm the husband. She's the wife. I'm going to take care of her. It's what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And don't think in terms of I wonder what benefits there might be in my taking a little break from this or maybe getting support or maybe getting some help. Nope, nope. It's just one other thing that I need to take care of. It's what I'm supposed to do. What I try to help men understand is, and by the way, when you think of the baby boomer generation of which I'm smack in the middle, I'll be 71 next month. Mm -hmm. Happy um, early birthday. <laughs> happy early, thank you. I quickly understood I need help and I need support. And that's what I pass on to men that I, I work with both in my Alzheimer's support group and in my clients. You know, you deserve a break. Mm -hmm. It is okay for you to feel grief. It's okay for you to feel loss. It's okay for you to be frustrated, to get angry at times. And you're doing the best you can with what you know now. And it's okay to get support. That is not a sign of weakness. It's, in effect, a sign of strength to be able to reach out to others and get the support you need. The other piece that I think is pretty typical for men is men, for the most part, like order and things to be a certain way. And I can remember when I was told, you know, make sure you engage your wife to do things, you know, even if it's not perfect, you know, to, to engage her in some fashion. So emptying the dishwasher, you know, I would help her empty the dishwasher she would help me and we'd have the cabinet open and you'd see the space where things go mm -hmm. and obviously the plates go here and the glasses go here and the coffee cups go here and the wine glasses go here and that's what we call order but she couldn't see that space there's a spatial 
aphasia, I think might be the term to use, where you, she really can't see that space as I see it. So things could go anywhere and it matters not where they go yeah. at all. And what I try to help people, especially the men, understand is let it go. It is yeah. not important. Although I joke with them, I say, well, there was one area where I did try to exert a little control. And that was when it was time to put the silverware away. I just didn't want a huge pile of knife, forks, and spoons scattered throughout the utensil drawer. So I would grab a handful of spoons and point to the area where the spoons go and say to Nancy, how about putting them right there? That's a good place for them. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I learned to let it go. And half the battle for men is to let it go, <laughs> to not be worried if they're asking repetitive questions. Yeah. That if they make you angry, even though in your head, you know that it's the disease, it's, you know, it's okay to be frustrated. We're all human beings. Yeah. To just help them let it go. And that's the, the joy I experience in caring and supporting my men in my support group is being able to help them understand that. Yeah. It was a lot. For me, letting things go was huge just because I'm an alpha female. I get that from my mom. So mm -hmm. being okay with it not being perfect um, and being okay with getting everything done, I just slowing down to take one thing at a time, whatever might come my way and, and explaining to others that, Hey, you know, close friends, she's still very social. I do know that like the doctor specifically said that her physical activity was very important. And then another counselor at one of the support group I did find said, because uh, her brain is having to tell her body left you know, this left side should go this to this right. And, you know, this arm should hit the ball over here. It's working. It's exercising her brain on mm -hmm. top of exercising her body. So that was very important. So I make sure that, that her teammates that have known her the longest, they're all about her age, if not older. And it's not super competitive, except for once a year, they go to a big tournament, but they're, they all understand that they have to keep score for her. They watch out over her. They make sure, you know, like if she goes off to the bathroom, somebody follows her if I'm not there. Sure. Sure. Because, you know, those little short-term things she can't do. She remembers she's been playing tennis for 35 years. You know, the things that they she's done the longest are really simple and easy. Washing dishes, she enjoys, she doesn't let anybody touch her dishes, you know. And there's a lot of muscle memory involved. Yeah, in absolutely. That's so That's just true. It is. So what you're bringing up it brings up an important aspect of, of person-centered care that, and, and also the way things are today that I want to I want to talk about if it's okay. Yeah. When Nancy was diagnosed and all through her dementia before she had reached a point where she probably couldn't engage in outside programs, there really weren't anything out there that she could connect with mm -hmm. that were daytime what they sometimes refer to as adult daycare. Okay. Or daytime enrichment programs. Uh-huh. Uh, where they can interact, do activities be engaged and so forth. Now there's a boatload of those kinds of programs. There's a lot around the Seattle area where I live. There's early stage memory loss programs. There's a organization called Old Friends Club that provides daytime enrichment programs for those with dementia. And then of course the caregivers get respite. respite. Mm -hmm. There's Alzheimer's cafes all over the country. Okay. Where caregivers and their and the persons with dementia congregate and just socialize. Just yeah. be themselves mm -hmm. in an environment where the people with dementia can talk to each other and the caregivers can share stories with each other. And it's just a really collective, the wonderful, engaging experience. There's a website, MomentiaSeattle.org, where 
which is literally an online calendar of myriad events and activities. And the point of all this, uh, saying all this, is that recognition that somebody with dementia are still present and are able to do things. They can, mm-hmm. they can get up on stage and sing. They can, people suddenly realize they've got an artistic bend to them that they maybe didn't know they had before and yeah. that I've experienced in my work here. So those are all positive things. They are. And repeat the last website, Dementia Seattle, oh, you said? Like the word moment Movement. with an I-A after it. Okay, momentiaseattle.org. Okay. And that is literally an online calendar of all the different activities, events, things going on. We have a local museum called the Fry, the Fry Museum that provides programs, tours, and art stuff for people with dementia. It's meant to expand their horizons of living so that they're not isolated. As I often say to people, you know, Yes, this may be irreversible and there may be a death down the road, but you have a choice. You can approach this as a maintenance slash death march process, or you can take it as an opportunity mm-hmm. to shift gears. And yeah. with Nancy, that's what I experienced over time. It resulted, so here we are, we're, we're married, we're living our life. She's starting to show symptoms of cognitive impairment. Bam, she's diagnosed with dementia. Suddenly there's this pivot. And now I'm facing into a whole new reality. And over time, it changed our relationship. Yeah. But no marriage is perfect. We all had it. We had our ups and downs like everybody does. Mm-hmm. Look at you. You double locked your door. And yeah. I'm suddenly facing into Nancy having this illness. Well, I, I experienced a significant pivot and I was all in. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed over time is that our relationship changed. I developed more empathy mm-hmm. than I had before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got out of myself more and turns into more into what she needed, uh, became more tuned in to things that could make her happy. It was just what being I Being in the moment. Being I, I, in the I, moment. Yeah. I have had those conversations with my stepdad and my nieces and nephews, you know, my brother and my sister-in-law, just be in the moment with her, enjoy the time we have with her. So I get what, you know, what you're trying to say that you, you just really got in tuned. It does take some time. It's not like immediate. The pivot no, it's not like a curve. And then there are days when it's harder than others. It's harder yeah. and you get angry and mm-hmm. you get frustrated, but yeah. it also gives you an opening to also appreciate the humor involved. Yes you know, Nancy taking clothes out of the washing machine. And as she's putting them in the dryer, she yells out, these clothes are all wet. <laughs> and I, I, la- I you know, laughed and said, yes, but you know what's going to be magical? You're going to throw them in the dryer and they're going to come out dry. It's just inc- an incredible experience. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get that very much so. What would you tell other men who are listening? Because I, I think that's a interesting, the point you brought up about you know, being married and then you're having to pivot. I know how it's hard just from a mother-daughter standpoint. I can't even fathom from a, you know, husband-wife standpoint. What what would you tell other men that are thrust into the same situation to get them okay. comfortable as being a caregiver? I've thought about this. And one, I would help them understand that they do not have to be the be-all and end-all of all caregivers. Mm-hmm. You just have to be yourself and your spouse's husband or partner's husband. 
mm-hmm. and best friend and doing the best you can. I would tell men that once I kind of came to a point of acceptance and okay, this is where we're going, it helped me be a more complete care partner to her. And because men can sometimes view themselves as experts, mm-hmm. uh, I would tell them that you don't have to be an expert because caregiving is a humbling experience. Oh, yeah. And forces you to check that perception of if you come from a place of perfection, uh, you're constantly going to be frustrated. And the best approach to take is look at every day as, as being a new day. Mm-hmm. That it's progress that you're looking for, not perfection. <laughs> and check that thought yeah. at the door. And it's okay not to know all the answers and to have to ever have everything figured out because we're only human and you can only do the best you can. Yeah. And then all these other pieces about, God, why can't you do this or do that? Or gosh, I wish I hadn't gotten angry at her yesterday. And that shame and regret. Even to this day, Kimberly, I can remember it was probably nine or 10 years ago when I, you know, I I remember yelling at her once. It was late at night. We were getting ready to go to bed after a full day of whatever I did at work and caregiving and all that business. And I don't know what happened, but I got mad and I kind of got in her face Mm -hmm. and I yelled at her for what I can't even remember what the issue was. And she flinched and I immediately felt this Mm. regret and shame and, you know, and all that and realized you know, I can let that go. I was doing the best I could. Yeah. So all these worries and anxieties and fear of getting help and support, I would just tell them to let that go. Just let it go. Yeah. And go seek support and know that you're not perfect and it's okay to ask for help. I constantly remind people that I come across that just are getting diagnosed to find a support group. If you haven't found one, keep looking, talk to others, your friends, you know, and don't, feel bad about taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your loved one. You have to be healthy and you have to take a break and you're not going to have all the answers, you know, to be able to take care of the person, your loved one, you know. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. So at least you can say that it came, you know, that the pivot occurred or the curve, whichever, you know, but good for you for stepping up and realizing that. And again, like I said, I, I can't even fathom when I have talked to several people, been honored and blessed to meet husband and wife teams, you know, that it's just heartbreaking to know because I already get emotional when it comes to my mom because, but, and you know, she's on, she's on a pedestal to me and I'm having to now be the, the person that she gets upset with when she doesn't want to do what I'm asking her to do, like give up driving, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's That's definitely, a toughie. oh yeah. <laughs> so, I, remember that, I remember that day. Yeah. What is one thing that you could say that surprised you that you realized about yourself from being a caregiver? Well, part of it was what we talked about earlier is this pivot I experienced. Mm-hmm. Probably for me, the thing that I guess surprised me the most, especially as I look back on it now, is that change in the relationship, the experience of uh, increased experience of empathy, mm-hmm. and the fact that my approach to her care and using terms of endearment that I might not have used before mm-hmm. started to come more naturally. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting down with a therapist colleague of mine many, many, many years ago and telling her, gosh, you know, I'd you know, I never really used terms of endearment for Nancy. And now I feel this warm emotional connection and this empathy and et cetera, et cetera. How come I didn't allow myself to do that before? Mm-hmm. 
And she basically said to me, don't go backwards like that. Be yeah. you know, look at be appreciative of the fact that this is what you're discovering now, essentially is what she was saying and, and go with it. And I realize now that everything that happens in life can be a self-reflecting and growth experience. And Nancy coming down with this illness and my having to make a shift and a pivot like I did woke me up mm-hmm. to a greater empathy and greater support and caring. And I now can see that was a blessing, not mm-hmm. something I regret. Why didn't I have that experience before? That's yeah. A real big thing. You can never go back. All you can do is be aware and know what you know now and move forward. So. Because we're always changing every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell the audience how they can get a hold of you if they have more questions or are interested in learning more. Well, I've got, of course, my website, which is simply transitionsindementiacare.com, transitionsindementiacare.com. Okay. And we'll put that link in the, in okay. the description bio. And my email address, which is Dawn Transitions, like the word transition, but plural. Okay. Dawn Transitions, and then the number two. Okay at gmail.com okay and of course my phone 206-779-1634 and you're also on linkedin i'm also on linkedin yeah awesome well thank you don again i really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your story yours and nancy's story <laughs> well, i appreciate being here it always is fulfilling for me to be able to share my experience and my strengths and challenges with others so that they can learn and be okay with what they're doing. Awesome. I truly appreciate your time. I am super grateful that you were open to this because it is, I know, very helpful. I learned stuff today, so I know I'm hopeful that the listeners also learned and benefited from it as well. So until next week, remember sharing is caring and to the caregivers listening, in the words of Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love gratitude and admiration. And to those that have not had that conversation with your family about dementia, please start talking about the what if something happens and if they can no longer take care of themselves, then what? Just do you have a plan and what is it? Just start talking, folks. Thanks again, Don. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kimberly.